This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good, after- <clears throat> Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, November 28th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour. And this hour is for you. It's not about me. I can talk about whatever is on my mind, and I'm going to do that. But we always default to what is on your mind. So your calls, your questions, your comments are a number one. And I'm going to do my best to mix in some educational material as well as some actionable material that can help you take your next step in your journey of financial freedom. And keep in mind that I'm here to provide you useful data and unbiased perspective developed with over 20 plus years of investment experience. And of course, we're going to run down the market performance today as well as some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question now. This is Mark from Fountain, Michigan, relatively new listener. Just wonder what you thought about John Deere here. I'm slowly building a position, rather small right now. Started the first part of July. I'm already up for you. But I am a long-term investor, like dear story. And just thought I'd like to hear your opinion. Thank you. All right, looking at Deer, and this is a name that is clearly in a downtrend. It started about in the summer. The markets received a bounce, but this has not. So this pulled back from about $450 per share, the peak in July, and was weak throughout the latter part of the summer into the early fall. But the market rebounded, and this just sits pretty much the lowest levels since early June. And that's not a a good relative strength picture. Now, a big factor in that is the recent earnings announcement, and that was management guiding to a weaker fiscal 2024. So the trends in their business clearly are not great. Revenues last quarter down 1%, earnings up 11, but once again, it's about forward-looking guidance. And this is a name that you could call a blue chip name, absolutely. But they do have a decent amount of debt on their balance sheet, about $56 billion in net debt. That's a lot on a $100 billion market cap. That's a lot of potential interest expense that could go up or likely to go up going forward. Yeah, they're the largest manufacturer of agricultural equipment in the world. But their business does ebb and flow with that sector. And right now that sector is not doing so hot. So... The technical picture and the trends in next year's earnings make me say, I'm holding off. I see no reason to jump in now. I see more downside ahead, probably headed to 300. We're at 360 now. And that's an area where it starts getting interesting. Our value is pretty much where it is now. 
So why buy a fairly valued company in a downtrend with earnings trends negative? Doesn't make sense. There's better risk versus rewards. And so I'm passing on Deer at least until that 300 level or if the earnings picture starts to improve. All right. Now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes. And our main focus point is about value stock, not, not value stocks, so growth stocks, excuse me. Can the rally that we've seen this year in the growth side of the market continue? Okay. So we're going to talk about growth stocks in general, the fundamental analysis of these names. What is, what's the P ratio of growth stocks versus value stocks after this run? Okay, and do these high-growth companies, do they make sense now? We're also going to touch on inflation around the world. What, we're going to look at kind of the large OECD countries and say, what caused the inflation and where are they now? Who's still dealing with the worst bouts of inflation and who are skirting it? And that can tell you a lot about the cause of the current inflationary environment. Also, SPACs. We're going to touch on SPACs. We tried to get to that yesterday, but we didn't have time. And then lastly, a lot of the crypto kings are falling. Not just Sam Bankman-Free, but also CZ. His recent pleading to pleading guilty to criminal charges is just another kind of cult of personality around a particular company that can teach you a lot about following individual people and trying to put them up as some larger than life figure, some deity that's above the fundamentals of the investments or the sector, etc. So we're going to look at that story as well. We also have some voice bank questions. One is in regards to municipal bonds and the other is craft Heinz. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a, another mixed day. The market's been, the market is overbought. Talked about that last week on, I believe it was Wednesday show. I was back from vacation on Wednesday, did that show. And I said, we're going into holiday season. You typically have a float higher, but near term, you're overbought. So a consolidation, a modest pullback in the market into early December, probably the likely scenario. And so far, the first two days of this week, that's pretty much what you had. Now, the big story was actually in gold. Gold really catapulted above the $2,000 level for, uh, I think, the fourth time in the past year. Uh, And usually, fourth time's a charm uh, in the technical uh, world. You hit on a certain resistance level three times, that fourth time tends to break through. And that's what you're seeing now. And a lot of this has to do with the weaker dollar. Dollar has rolled over on the pretty clear indication the Fed has paused or is pausing. And the next move by the Fed is likely a rate cut at some point. Whether that's March or May or sometime later in 2024, that's likely the path forward. And that means the dollar should start to go down. Now, a lot of people think the dollar down is bad. Well, in fact, nothing can be farther from the truth when it comes to asset prices. If you want equities to go up, 
a weaker dollar is better. Rates have come down as well. So that's certainly helping asset prices. But that weaker dollar is something that we'll get to a little bit later and important to take note of because that does tend to shift the tenor of market leaders. Let's just say that. All right. So we'll touch on that. Uh, let's see. What else? I think that's that about does it for today. I still think we have chop into year end with a slight bias to the upside. All right. Now, as we head into a break, let me tell you about the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight Series. It is free and it's available now over on YouTube. Our newest episode is up and it's on the material sector. So join myself and Lou Guerrero as we break down the key components of the material sector, including industries such as metals, chemicals, construction materials, and more. Discover how global events, supply chain disruptions, and technological advancements are impacting this sector's performance. So head over to YouTube and check out the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight series. And now the phone lines are open and ready for you. Waiting for your questions at 888 chart When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99 Chart. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99 Chart. Hey, guys, this is uh, Andrew from Atlanta. I was trying to call you about Kraft Heinz Company. That's ticker symbol K H C. I've been holding it for a little bit. I'm down like almost 15%. Is this going to be something that I should hold long-term? Well, I'm kind of guilty of holding way too many stocks. And I was thinking I've got some pretty good ETFs considering maybe just selling this and maybe going into uh, an ETF. But I would appreciate your analysis of Kraft Heinz. We greatly enjoy the show and hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks. Thank you for the kind words. Now, Kraft Heinz has been struggling, but it is in an uptrend as over the past, let's call it month, month and a half, bottomed in mid-October, and now it's below, above the 50, 120 day moving average, but longer term still in that downtrend. And there's no coincidence here that the recent uptrend in Kraft Heinz is also coinciding with a uptrend in bond prices. Right, rates down, bond prices up. And why is that? 
because Kraft Heinz has a lot of debt, about $20 billion in long-term debt on its balance sheet and a market cap of only $43 billion. Now, fine business, a steady business, not a not a business that's going to go bankrupt or anything like that. I don't, I don't think anytime soon. But a higher interest cost is likely to hurt their bottom line over the medium to long term. And so I would be using this rally to sell it. An inflationary environment tends to be not very good for consumer staple companies like Kraft Heinz, just for everyone out there, they make, it's Kraft. They make condiments and ketchups and cheese and other types of products you, you, you find in your day-to-day grocery store. And when inflation is elevated, they typically, these, these consumer packaged food companies, consumer staple companies, they tend to have trouble keeping their margins strong because the cost of labor that goes into making these products tends to go up. Shipping costs to getting the products to these stores go up. Just uh, And then the raw materials going into these products go up. So, And it's a competitive marketplace. They have difficulty increasing prices to compensate. A lot of times they're competing with store-bought brands. They have a lower price points. So you can only go so far above those store-bought brands in order before you start losing share, right? So I don't like the space this is in. I don't like the debt that it's holding. Uh, I don't like the relative strength. Near term, probably can continue a bit of a rally, but I would be quicker to sell it as opposed to hold on to it. And you know, moving to ETF, that's just going to expand the number of positions you technically have because remember, those ETFs are uh, diversified. So maybe I would encourage you to do a portfolio review with me. I can uh, kind of look at your whole positions, uh, whole portfolio and see where you're at and see how you can move it into a better place. All right, let's keep things moving and play two in a row on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. It never closes at 8 at 8, 99 chart. Hi there, Scott from Florida. I have a question about after hours trading, or I guess maybe trading futures. Who can do it? Who can't do it? Advantages, disadvantages to it, I guess. And then kind of a related question out of kind of an offshoot of it. If people can trade after hours, why wouldn't the market just be open, you know, either 24-7 or 24 hours a day, five days a week type thing? Just want to get your take on that. Thanks. Bye. Well, anyone can trade after hours. You have to talk to your broker on the cost of that. There typically is uh, actual commissions to trading after hours. Also, it's a lot less liquid, meaning you can't just go put in a market order. You have to find, you know, bid and ask. There's, there's, once again, there's not as many traders after hours as there is during the, when the market's open. Uh, when, why is the market open 24 7? I, I, I guess technically in certain stocks, that probably could happen fairly easily now there are market makers and traders that that keep the the market more liquid during the market open or when the market's open excuse me so if you made it 24 hours that would probably spread the liquidity out amongst uh, a longer time frame how would that work you know i think that's something that will probably be explored eventually happen but uh as of now i don't think this is a good way to go all right we're running to a break so give me a call now at 888-99-CHART 
Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. All right, now my focus point today is set up by this headline. Can the rally in growth stocks last? Can the rally in growth stocks last? And last year was colored by the exact opposite, really, of this year. And it's really in regards to AI. AI has driven the mania towards growth stocks, whereas the value side of the market has kind of languished. The Russell 3000 value index this year is just up 2% through Monday, whereas the Russell 3000 growth is up 32%. That's the second biggest underperformance on record dating back to 2000. Pretty crazy. And now this is your classic kind of snapback rally. Because last year, Russell 3000 growth was down 29%. So I know it sounds like, hey, oh, it's up 30-something percent. It's roughly flat. No, it's actually still down uh, from last year's high. Whereas the value side of the market last year was down only 7%. So that's also still down from last year's um, start of the year. But... Net-net, value still outperforming. So pretty interesting to see what's happened over the past couple of years. And it just shows you that you can't just chase last year's winners or last year's losers. And oftentimes, in fact, actually, last year's losers tend to, be, uh, are t- tend to outperform in the years forward. That's why a lot of people tend to chase performance, and that's usually not a good way to go. Now, a big reason for this is muscle memory. People still are interested in, in growth stocks. They're still sexier. And so when the momentum comes back, they tend to pile in. And in fact, right now, hedge funds are the most overweight large cap growth that they've ever been. So it's a very crowded trade at this point. And it's really been driven by the bigger names. So NVIDIA, for example, this year, uh, it's tripled. Meta platforms up 180%. And then obviously Apple, Amazon, Eli Lilly, also big winners as well. On the value side, six of the 10 largest stocks are down this year within that index. Chevron is down, Johnson Johnson, Merck, Bank of America. And that latter is a big reason why the value side of the market has underperformed this year. Financials, banks, big part of that index. And then utilities, utilities down as well because they're bond proxies, same with consumer staples. Now, one thing you're starting to see, which is interesting going into this year end, is that's starting to shift. So if you actually, if you look over the past couple of months, you're actually starting to see the value side start to outperform once again. And a lot of this, I think, has to do with the dollar. Now, while interest rates are important to multiples and whether or not growth stocks are going to outperform longer term or not and what multiples they can trade at, 
the dollar actually is a big reason for the shift in the color of the market and the trends within the market. And the recent rollover in the dollar is something that everyone should take note of. Last year, the dollar was roughly flat starting in the, from the spring until year end. This year, it's been up. So that's been a headwind to commodity side of the market, which tends to, once again, be on the value side of the ledger. Now, currently, growth, the growth index trades about 32 times trailing earnings, 32 times. The value side, 14 times. Now, they're always going to there is always going to be a difference there. Growth is going to always trade at a higher multiple. But it should it trade at a multiple over two times as high? Probably not, especially when you consider the expected earnings growth next year. For the growth side of the market, the expected earnings growth for 2024 is 14.3%. The value side, 11.4. So there's a less than 3% difference in earnings growth for 2024. Justify a du- more than double the multiple? Unlikely. And especially if the dollar gets weaker, it's going to mean better things for the economy, better things for banks, industrials, commodity companies, et cetera. So while the headline, and that's what's interesting here too, is a take note, is that these are headlines you're starting to see. Is this big outperformance? And when you see the headline, nine times out of 10, you want to fade that headline, meaning take the other side. And when you look at the backdrop of the multiples, of the trends in the dollar, of the trends in earnings, and the recent trends within growth first value, I think next year will look a lot like 2022. All right, the next Invest Talk, let's look, in the store, let's look into the story set up by this question. What are the most knows about employee stock options? We're going to cover how to balance the tax and investment considerations. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. Got a question for Steve or Justin? Just kind of wondering if this stock is a value trap. Now is a good time to call Invest Talk 99 chart Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top, make that phone call to the Invest Talk Anytime listener line, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Chris from Minnesota. Uh, I had a question regarding municipal bonds. 
I keep about six months of living expenses in a high yield savings account and keep another six months worth at the same institution and no penalty CDs. I'm in the highest tax bracket and was thinking about moving that additional six months and the no penalty CDs to municipal bonds to lower the taxes on those returns. I've never invested in muni bonds before and was wondering one, how liquid the municipal bond market is and two, would you recommend municipal bond ETF like MUNI? Thank you. Well, the first prerequisite for municipal bonds is met with your with your uh, call, and that is you're in the highest tax bracket. So it pretty much doesn't make sense unless you are in the highest tax bracket. Now, then it goes to how do you gain exposure to the municipal bond market? And for most people, especially in your situation, you're trying to keep it safe, right? Invest cash. Uh, you using an ETF like this probably makes sense. Now, the issue with this particular one, MUNI, which is the PIMCO Intermediate Term Municipal Bond Active ETF, and it's a fine ETF. It's it's it, there's nothing wrong with it, um, except for the fact that it's intermediate term, meaning there's some duration risk there. This is not cash. Okay, means there's going to be some volatility, and volatility can cut both ways. So, you know, from the beginning of the year, let's call it to the end, from the end of January, when it was trading at about fifty-two dollars per share, fifty-two fifty, it fell until the beginning of this month to about forty-nine fifty. So, not huge drawdown, but there's some loss there. And you have to be aware of that because the effective duration here is five years. Meaning if interest rates move up, say 100 basis points, then this will drop roughly 5%. And that's what you saw from January until early part of this year. Now it has rallied because bond prices have rallied as of late. So what I would say is I like what you're looking at, except I would go shorter term. Make sure it's not a closed-end fund. Closed-end funds tend to have leverage. They tend to be much, much higher risk. You don't want to deal with that. You want to deal with an ETF. And then think about the potentially buying an ETF that is in your state. So you can get local tax-free as well if you are in a high-tax state. It depends on you know where you're living. Uh, but something to think about as well. But I like what you're looking at. I don't mind this. I don't mind it being an ETF. Just look for a shorter-term muni bond fund that's not levered. Okay? Thanks for the call. Let's talk a little bit about inflation. Inflation, and this was a great study done by The Economist, and it calculate, calculated the measure of inflation entrenchment in the top 10 OECD countries. So we're talking about Australia, Britain, Germany, Canada, United States, France, Italy, Spain, South Korea, and Japan. And this is a very interesting index because what it shows is that there are certain countries that have stickier inflation. And Australia is at the top. Their inflation entrenchment index is at 78. For context, United States is at 58. Okay. Core consumer prices in Australia are 5.1% from a year earlier. Here in the United States, 44 and inflation expectations remain relatively high. In fact, the highest inflation expectations going forward is in Canada, 5.7%. Now, second on this list of the most 
entrenched inflation, Britain. They're at 68 on this uh, this ranking, and core consumer prices are still up 6.1%. Now, a big reason for this really is a link to fiscal spending. And what it showed is that those that did large fiscal packages were the most prone to higher inflation. In fact, countries in 2021 that did the most fiscal stimulus were, or or, or that that had the most entrenched inflation did about 40% more fiscal spending than other OECD countries. Now, the country that's doing the best, Japan. Their inflation rate is only 2.8%. And going forward, the expectation is only about 1.5%. Now, a big reason for that, I think, uh, why South Korea and Japan are near the bottom is they haven't really dealt with inflation over the past number of years, number of decades. Japan has been dealing with deflation for a long period of time. So inflation is not nearly as entrenched. Now, Australia, being so far from kind of everything, they tend to see higher bouts of inflation. And Britain is experienced, has experienced a lot of surges in inflation in 2008, 2011, 2017. And so they developed a more inflationary mindset. And so this is a really interesting study that just kind of highlights what the true cause of inflation is. And it's also delayed. It's another aspect that most people do not really give enough credit to is that it's, you, if, if the government spends a dollar today, it doesn't increase, increase inflation tomorrow. It's actually an 18-month lag. If you look at M2 growth, there's an 18-month lag between how much that increases and when inflation increases. So all of that, all of that fiscal spending that happened in 2020, and we're post-pandemic, sending out checks, uh, there was a lot of right, deferment of debt, student debt, and mortgage debt, etc. All of that is a form of fiscal spending. And that's why you didn't see inflation really start to accelerate until late 2021. And into 2022. So that's what these numbers are saying. And it's pretty clear that if you want to criticize any part of our system for why we've had this surge of inflation, it absolutely is tied to fiscal spending. All right, let's keep things moving and, move and pivot back to the Best Talk Voice Bank. This one came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Hey, Steven Justin, Bill from Philadelphia, uh, calling about Tellurian, ticker syndrome, T-E-L-L. Uh, I just wanted to see if this is kind of a boomer bust stock. I know they're waiting to do uh, some natural gas pipeline approval, and I uh, wanted to see if uh, you guys thought that the business really relied on this approval, or if the business can maintain itself if it doesn't get this approval and if it's a good long-term hold. Just want to get your thoughts to see if this would be kind of a good speculative play for a long-term hold. And uh, 
Love what you guys do and looking forward to hearing your response. Thank you. All right, looking at Tellurian, TLL is a symbol. This is a penny stock, 51 cents per share currently, $326 million market cap. And you're correct. They are an independent EMP company, and they're developing a portfolio of natural gas production, LNG marketing, and infrastructure assets here in the United States. And they're losing money. <laughs> and it sounds like I'm not too familiar with this name. But it sounds like they are trying to put in place LNG export facilities. And that's what this is betting on, getting it approved and built, et cetera, an environment where we have cheap natural gas here and expensive natural gas abroad. That can be a nice arbitrage situation. However, that is a big what if, huge what if. Now, Chenier Energy, LNG is a name that did this, right? They kind of were ahead of the game. And so the question is, why would you go and mess with this company? And the what if, when you have one that's actually producing? Now, longer term, I actually don't love either one of them because there tends to, this tends to happen where, if there is this arbitrage opportunity and there's profit to be had, what happens? Companies like Thalerian are going to go in and try to do the same thing as Chenier did. And that's going to increase the supply of natural gas to the global market and shrink that profitability. Shrink that arbitrage opportunity. So... If I'm going to invest in oil and energy, I want something that has better long-term sustainability, isn't going to drastically ebb and flow with natural gas prices. And I definitely don't want to bet in the one that, is, that doesn't have the facilities in place to produce at a time right now, which is profitable. Who knows when this may actually hit market and get approved and get built at a time when that arbitrage opportunity is not that great. So I'm certainly passing on this. I think you have better opportunities elsewhere. All right, let's go to Jeff in Kentucky, looking at FTEC, which is Fidelity Info Tech ETF. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Um, I've been an owner for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I was just curious, because uh, it's done pretty well since its inception. Mm -hmm. I think a little over 18% uh, rate of return. And, um, you know, we know VGT, VGT, Triple Q, but it's kind of like lesser known. But I, mm -hmm. I, I, I've invested it, and mm -hmm. I'm kind of more of an index ETF guy. Mm -hmm. So I live really frugal to put, over, put a lot of capital as much as I can in investments. But with that ETF, Justin, obviously there's still going to be volatility. But as far as a, a ETF such as that, with the way the world's going, are you confident if you put so much of a percentage, 10, 20%, and I'd have done that, which is a lot higher than, you know, versus the index. I mean, just the index fund and that is pretty much what I've had. Are you confident in the next 20 years? Is it like five, like more of a five year to 10 year horizon? Or do you think, okay, you might want to look at other sectors? Um, or are you pretty confident that it, it's still got a long 
good horizon in front of it like it has had the last 10 years. No, I actually think this is a good time to be probably reducing your exposure here. Uh, what percentage of your overall portfolio would you say this ETF is? Uh, I would say about 20% since I've, okay. and I'm, I'm in my, yeah, I've been investing for like, you know, 20 years, 20, I'm in my mm-hmm. late thirties, but I've been mm-hmm. investing since my early twenties. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, I, I just, it, I always did, you know, the total stock market index fund up until 2013, I found it because I have a fidelity brokerage. I started pouring a lot of money. I would say 20%, 25%. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have very, I have overexposed myself to, mm-hmm an ETF versus my broad-based index. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and so you have 20% in this ETF. What does the other 80% look like? Is that, are those just broad-based e- it's a, it's, Yeah, it's, it's the it's – the, it was uh, – it's just a total stock market index one. I okay. have bought single stocks once in a while, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I've done well on those, but I'm more of a – just my temperament, the psychology yep. of it all, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. more – uh, based with uh, with just the ETFs and, and indexes, yeah. and I just wanted to get your opinion on it. And I'm I'm looking at long term. We're talking yep. twenty fifteen years, and see what yep. you think. Yeah. Uh, so if the rest is kind of the index, which is overweight technology itself, you already have a huge exposure to technology, right? So this is just kind of supercharging the already high exposure that you have. So you're probably closer to a 30 year portfolio, roughly maybe uh, 40% of your portfolio close to uh, just in technology. So I would take this entire fund, I would sell it all and diversify. Um, and increase right. exposure to the parts of the market. And you can use ETFs. That's fine. Use the sector ETFs. That's fine. This And that's what this is. It's a sector ETF. But with if you if the rest is kind of the Vanguard total stock market index, you're already overweight technology. So you're just – that's way too much in this environment uh, after this recent run. And I would be increasing your exposure right now to industrials, energy, basic materials. Uh, that part, Those parts of the market I think are going to do much better over the next 10, 15, 20 years because of the lack of production of those um, a lack of capex within those sectors that's going to allow those businesses to really reap big returns especially as we uh, reshore manufacturing etc and uh, talked earlier about the valuations within the growth side of the market this is this ETF is exactly uh, there where the valuations are just way way too high uh, the current P ratio, uh, it, uh, of the growth side, like I said, is in the uh, the low 30s. So you want to be uh, yeah selling this name and diversifying into the names that are underweight the rest of the market. Okay. Great. Thanks a lot. You have a great show. I appreciate your your uh, time. Take care. No problem. Thanks for the call, Jeff. All right, we are deep into the fourth quarter. Of December is just around the corner. About a month left in the year, and that means you probably are reassessing kind of your strategy, your overall allocation, and that's why serious investors need to adjust their the strategy to fit the times. And if you need help understanding whether your strategy does that. I encourage you to reach out to myself uh, and schedule a portfolio review via our website. You can go to our website, click on the portfolio review button and fill that out. Uh, We can go over your positions, send you reports, and help you understand whether you are overweight, underweight, the right parts of the market, and uh, whether you're on track based on your risk tolerance level as well as your goals. So we at KP Financial... We operate the same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success that we do on this show. We practice 
parallel investing, which means you invest right alongside our clients as well. So I encourage you to reach out and take advantage of our free portfolio review via telephone or go to meeting. Just send us a message once again through investtalk.com. All right, we're heading into a break. The phone lines are open and waiting for you at 888-99-CHART. and investment questions and Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready with their unbiased answers. Don't forget to call InvestTalk 888-99-CHART. Hey, this is Don from Durham. Thanks for the show, guys. I've been watching HSHIF Hoshizaki Corporation for some time and I just can't make sense of the numbers that I have access to on Morningstar Fidelity. The market cap's $4.7 billion, but what I see shows cash on the balance sheet of $257 billion. They make uh, equipment for restaurant. The price plummeted on Friday by about 10%, and I can't figure out why. The PDE is high. I'm not sure what to make of the numbers. and just curious of your take of HSHIF. Thank you. Well, the cash that you're probably looking at is in yen. So that's that's probably what your confusion is. Obviously, it doesn't have that much cash. It is in a good financial position, though. They have no long-term debt. They do have a good amount of cash, about $1.7 billion in cash on its balance sheet. So market cap 4.7, enterprise value only about $3 billion because of that net cash. So it's... It's good. It's a good business. It's a good company. Uh, not a lot of people know about it, but it's a Japanese company that makes refrigeration products, uh, food service equipment mainly, uh, ice machines, dishwashers, beer dispensers, hygiene, hygiene control equipment, etc. Mainly using restaurants, supermarkets, cafeterias, etc. It's been around a long time since 1947. 1947, a little bit post World War II. And modest dividend, just a consistently good business. Return equity, not amazing, about 9% right now, but longer term, kind of around the 10% level. It's good. Not an exciting name, not a sexy name, but I think this pullback, this pullback as of late, uh, certainly gets gives you a good longer-term buying opportunity if you're looking to gain exposure to Japanese companies, which I have no problem with. So I'm going to give Hoji Hoji Hoshizaki, Hoshizaki, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Uh, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. All right. Let's touch a little bit, lastly, on SPACs. And I think this is an underappreciated story over the past couple of years because there was a lot of money raised on the back of these SPACs. Now, for everyone out there, SPACs are special purpose acquisition companies. And it's basically nothing more than a promise and an aspiration, pledged aspiration, to invest people's money in a profitable way. Now, the sponsors, they pay the money to get the companies public or the SPACs public. And with the promise that they're going to invest it in a private company and do it prudently for the investors. 
And sponsors on, on the hook for legal accounting and underwriting fees. And in return, they get a piece of this new business. And there's a lot of incentive for them to take they were there is a lot of incentive. There was a lot of incentive for them to, to actually buy something. Because after two years, they don't buy anything. They have to give the money back and they eat the cost of getting the company public. And during this back boom. In 2020, there were 250 SPACs that went IPO, raising $83 billion. And 2021, pretty much doubled that. 613 SPACs, raising $162 billion. So nearly $250 billion over the span of just two years. And these were, many of them were on the back of, backs of, High-profile names, Richard Branson, Bill Ackman, Chamath Palapatia, I don't like Chamath, Jay-Z, Shaquille O'Neal, Alex Rodriguez. They lent their names to them. But if you look at most of them, almost all of them, they've crashed and burned. WeWork was a SPAC, recently filed, a, filed for bankruptcy. In fact, 12 SPACs. Just in the past couple of years, think of the SPACs over the past couple of years, 12 of them are now bankrupt. About 100 of them are running out of cash. Yet people are still throwing money at them. There were 28 SPACs that went IPO this year, raising $3.6 billion, a small cry from the 100 and, what was it, or $162 billion in 2021. But it just goes to show you that there's nothing new under the sun. These were nothing more than vague promises. They're going to do right by the shareholder, and 99.9% of them have not. So once again, story stocks rarely work out. All right, I'm Justin Klein. This another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And it's official. We are now past the 57 million download mark since it all began, thanks to you. Independent thinking should success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461.